expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. You've reached another level. It's episode 84 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast, where as much of a fan as I am, I still can't help but wonder why the hell Doc Brown gave Marty McFly a 50 to buy a Pepsi. You know, I mean, with inflation and the cost of living and the whole hipster movement where everything's starting to become more pricier because the older things are just starting to have more value. I don't know why, but it's weird. It is weird. It's like, you know, your dad giving you like a hundred and saying, Hey, go buy like, you know, a, a movie or something like that. You know, well, that's almost as much as movies cost now. <laughs> exactly. My point. <laughs> I'm James with him alongside the Merkel one arm, Nick Battaglia. Yeah, Rush. that's my point. And speaking of movies really quick, I just want to mention that, you know, Aladdin came out on Blu-ray DVD last week and I bought it today. It is so goddamn beautiful. It is. It really I- is. Like, if you watch the scenes where they're in the Cave of Wonders exactly, and they're walking by the carpet especially, each little individual gold coin is outlined, and you can see it, and it's just remarkable what they do with the remasters. Disney does such a great job with remasters, even of the even of the older ones. Some stuff like Sword in the Stone, Robin Hood, yeah, uh, the Beauty and the Beast remasters that they've done. They do such a good job. I mean, I'm not surprised because it's Disney and the attention, and the details, always been there every time that that media has stepped up. So is Disney to remaster things. But yeah, Aladdin is it's a beautiful thing. Man. Exactly. Speaking of attention to detail, last week you know we paid a lot of detail to things that happened at New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, and we kind of compared and contrast and you know numbers are good man i mean a lot of people like what we said you know we've had people tweeting us all week and all throughout Mm. the weekend mostly saying very interesting points and you know we're actually going back and forth with a couple people on on twitter who who was just like you know we're talking about venues that they could possibly have and people are talking about you know who actually went to new york comic con said Mm -hmm. you know they they had at the hammerstein ballroom for some panels but people complaining about the 15 minute walk and then i told that person i said wait a minute if you visit a city like New York, where at least 90% of the people walk to everywhere they got to go and take public uh-huh. transportation, why are you visiting New York in the first place? This is the only time nerds get exercise. Okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can walk 15 minutes. Hey, I don't like walking either, okay? Yeah. So I'm lumping myself into that category too. But when I go to when I go on vacation, okay, yep. like um, when, I, when my wife and I went to Savannah or when we went to Philadelphia, when we go places, we walk the city. Yeah. Okay. New York is no different. I mean, if you have to walk 15 minutes is nothing. Okay. Well, that is nothing. Well, it's like when I lived in Los Angeles, I took public transportation or I walked everywhere because I'll be damned if I'm taking the 405 freeway. Fuck that. Basically, 15 minutes is a mile walk. Yeah. Maybe. So, I mean, if you time it out. So that's not that bad. And, no. you know, it's good exercise, you know. You, you know, it's the payoff of being able to sit down once you get to the panel. Plus, look at it this way. Say, for instance, there's somebody at a panel or somebody who's going to be at New York Comic Con you really, really want to see. Think of it as going, like, on a little adventure with your friends, if you have any. There you go. You get yourself a landing party, you know, the Star <laughs> Trek landing party. And you yeah. go, you know, explore the foreign... Parts of the uh, Hammerstein Ballroom. Or I'm just picturing a bunch of people dressed like Mario McFly, right on those like mini mini uh, segways. Yeah, what's with the life preserver? <laughs> yeah. 
you'll drown in the Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're gonna be ta- we're gonna be talking about so much this week. We're gonna have a review of Supergirl coming up. Speaking of movies, we're gonna be talking about the Star Wars Force Awakens trailer, which has the nerd world all a flutter. Yeah, and, plain, and we've got another special guest this week. Exactly, we got two actually this week. We have Mark Millar coming on, also Raphael Albuquerque, and they're gonna be on to promote, of course, a new comic called Huck, and it's gonna be pretty amazing. We're very gonna be pretty excited to talk to these guys, and you know, I mean, two biggest, oh, the biggest names right now in comics, and they're gonna be on our podcast, man. It's really exciting. And and you know that the Huck's not even gonna be coming out until November, so we're gonna right. give you all the information that you need on that, so you can pre-order it at your local shops, or of course, at ImageComics.com, and. I mean, it's just so much, and you know I'm not going to be able to resist asking Malara a Chrononauts question, right? Uh, of course, of course, because, I mean, Chrononauts is such a huge success, you know, and Rafa's art is just amazing. Uh, it's going to be a fun time having those guys on. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see um, what they say about Hawk and what they say about other projects that they're going to be working on. But you know what we've got? We've got two new comics, or do we, that we're going to be reviewing coming up next on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book artist Chad Hart, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week. And, well, James, this is a rarity on the show because normally we do two different books for all together if you count the website. But this week there was a comic that was so big, an event that was so huge, we decided that we had to do the same comic this week. That's right. So when you mosey on down to Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach with Bob, who sponsors this segment, we were like, Bob, Gotta have Back to the Future number one because it's Back to the Future week and the celebration was huge. It actually raked in almost $5 million worldwide in one day. And of course, this brand new series from IDW is part of that celebration. And it's legit because Bob Gale is a part of it. And I think that, that was a big reason that this book's going to be a success. Well, the reason why Bob Gale's a part of it too is I think that, because you know you had the whole movie thing where both he and Zemeckis have to sign off on it before yep. anything can happen. So when it comes to the story part of it, Bob Gale, I would believe, have, would have to sign off on it. And of course, why would you not want to get him? You know what I'm saying? And, yeah, not only that, but I mean, you're, you're revisiting something. If you're Bob Gale, you're revisiting oh, something yeah. that you love and a lot of people still love and you want to put your name on that. So you want to be able to tell people, yeah, not only are we going to bring Back to the Future to comics, but I'm going to make sure that these stories keep canon and actually give you the stories that you want to know about from the Back to the Future universe, per se. Exactly. So, of course, the story is done by Bob Gale. The script is also done by Bob Gale and also John Barber. And the art is by Brent Schoonover. Now, this first issue deals with... It's a four-part series, I do believe, correct? Yeah, and next, this first issue was actually broken up into two parts as well. Yeah, you? the first part, I mean, it, it sets up as a prequel where, you know, how... Well, not really a prequel. It's more after the third movie and Doc is kind of talking to his kids, Jules and Vern, about the time and he, how he first met Marty. And, you know, I got to tell you, as far as a lot of prequel books go, this was pretty interesting at first because you see, like, how they met and, and you know, they had a whole wild things about the Doctor and everything mm-hmm. else. The only thing I'll say this, though, is is they kind of caught me off guard is the, is the art direction a little bit of it because yeah. it felt it, it's not as clean as I had hoped it was when it yeah, comes to art. Yeah, the first part um, wasn't as bold as I wanted it to be. 
Yeah. Uh, it fell a little flat for me, but the, but the story was good. It was interesting. Of course, we could see needles is involved in this as well. Oh, yeah. And, uh, there's a reason that, uh, Marty has to go to doc Brown's house. Again, we're not going to spoil too much for you. So you can go ahead and read the issue yourself if you haven't already, but there's a reason that Marty has to go to doc's house and some crazy stuff happens. And I mean, the story part was good, but I agree. The, if this is your if initial presentation for this book, I just felt like the art could have been a little bit stronger. Yeah, and I think that you know when you deal with the writing, like I mean, I, I didn't find it, the writing. I didn't find the writing boring. I just felt when you're talking about, and this is what's tough about when you do first interactions between certain characters, like especially if it's a flashback. Mm-hmm. You know, as a writer, there's an important thing when you're doing a book, especially as a prequel book, especially one that deals with the meetup of your two main characters, and that is you have to make the the first interaction between them interesting. Yeah. And you have to give it a good premise. Now, the premise was good, whereas, you know, you have to go into, you had to go into, like, Doc's, like, annex house lab, you know, because, of course, the house that he grew up in, Doc Brown did, you know, it burned down. We all know right. that. Um, and, and the thing is, though, when you look at it, you know, the interaction, the first interaction between him and Doc Brown, it's kind of like, I don't think they knew what they wanted to go in that direction because, I mean, especially with what they what Marty had to do and why he went there. I think that, you know, with him, when he first gets into the building, I think that it's just like, okay, it's kind of cool sneaking around. But then when you first, when Doc first sees him, I just, it just felt a little flat to me. Yeah, um, something did feel a little off. I'll admit that. I actually thought the premise was a little strange. I'm like, my first thought was, okay, would Marty do this? Yeah. You know? And people that read this will, will know what I'm talking about when, um, when yeah, read it. Yeah. yeah. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't sold that Marty would actually do this. Yeah, I get, that's the thing. I get, that's I get why, I get why the, I get the motive to what made him do it. Yeah. Because it's a classic theme throughout all of the movies. But even that, I don't know if that would have pushed him to do this. Yeah, I mean... You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it was also... I, th- I think the way that they got him to go to Doc's house was, I think... I don't want to say cheap, but I think it's somewhat of a lazy way to get out the whole him being called a chicken, you know, the whole nobody calls me a chicken kind yeah, that's of thing. Yeah, that's what I was getting at, yeah. I, I, it felt like, you know, nothing as Bob Gale or John Barber, but I think that they knew that this book was going to sell. And I think that this is a problem that a lot of these books fall into that are based off of these popular films is that you try to find ways to f- either force feed or crowbar in famous phrases or lines from the characters. And I got to tell you, what's actually was more interesting is the second story that's in the, in the first issue. Yeah, exactly. That deals with Doc Brown's past when he's, you know, I don't want to go into what the main thing is the story. That's a big spoiler, but the whole past where he's kind of a professor, you know, and stuff like that. And that whole past with him, I felt that was that second story fell, I think, what what it needed to really be about. I think that, you know, I've, if it was like an actual Doc Brown comic instead of a Back to the Future comic, because the thing is, is the whole, I, I'm sorry, but the, th- the problem with Back to the Future is the whole story has been told. There's no other direction you can go with that story that either the movies or the animated show didn't go. Right, well, I mean, there's, there's, in, there's other stories that 
haven't been told that have been told in like documentaries, but haven't actually been told. told. Right. So I think that's kind of what I wanted to see in this. Like you said, the second story, which by the way was scripted by uh, Eric Burnham and art by Dan Schoening, which was much, much better than the first half. So good job by Dan Schoening there. Uh, I guess more of it for me was, okay, what stories do I want to see? And are these, is this the story that I wanted to see in the beginning? Now, the thing that struck me about the second story is this could lead you to find out how he gained the knowledge to be able to create the flux capacitor. And exactly. Now, of course, we have, you know, the whole fell off the toilet, hanging the clock, hit his head, but Again, yeah, that could be like maybe, you know, there's something like or other past inventions because we both know what he's working right. on in the second story, which is very interesting. Yeah. But again, I could set up the whole reason of why the DeLorean before the whole food processor was put on the back of it. They had a run on plutonium. Yeah. And, and how did they get that 1.21 gigawatts without the lightning and that? how this kind of story factors in. I mean, they don't lead to that, but that's where your mind goes. And I think that was the brilliance of this second story. I just think that with the first story, I don't, I don't want to keep harping on, but back to the first story for a second. Yeah. I think that when you have something this iconic, okay. <coughs> and you're trying to tell a story about two major characters that we all love so much. And like you said, the movies have told a lot of the stories and we've seen a lot of their interactions. You fall into the trap of, you tell their origin of how they met and you fall into the trap of no matter what you do, mm-hmm. people are going to go, that's it. Yeah. That's what it felt like. It was very, it felt very, that's it. Again, not to harp on it, but it, when you look, when you read and you get to the, the third half of the book, which is of course the second story of the book, which is, you know, again, a different thing from the first story. It, it, it's where I want, or it's, where, it's kind of also where I want the book to go moving forward. Like, I don't want it to be full of family guy isms where, you know, Doc Brown's like, there was a, remember this time when I did this? Remember this time I did that? I don't want that to be like that. And I yeah. fear that that's the way it's going to go because of how the op- how it opens. Yeah, don't set it up like that. Just tell me a story. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I would love it if they, because when I read, I'm not going to lie. When I read the second story, I it brought me back to uh, Justice Inc. The Avenger by Dynamite. Yeah, it gave me that feeling because it had that old school kind of feeling, nostalgic mm-hmm. times, and they're building these certain things. And I would love it if they just took this whole Back to the Future thing. Yeah, you got the whole how they met out of the way. Just do a straight on Doc Brown comic. You could do that. Or, I mean, tell us some stories that we really don't know anything about, like the alternate 1985. And we, we know yeah. Biff's story leading up to, to that 1985 event after he gets the almanac. But what we don't know is the in-between stuff, like how did he and Lorraine end up getting married and stuff like that, and the creation of Biffco. And even tell me the story about the first bet that he made. Let's do that. Yeah. That'd be cool. Or, or Biff. Or or Biff, him. what happens to him after the fact, you know? Or, or you know... His his why not just say it? His killing of George McFly. Yeah, give me that. That would be cool too. And I'm hoping that they're gonna tell these kinds of stories. And I mean, there's a lot of characters that you can go and, with. And of course, you know, we had to have an important storyline art games of if he actually gets the whole why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Yeah, does he ever figure that does out? Does he ever figure that out? Um, does he ever figure that out? I mean, that's the most important arc, I think, in the entire comic. Oh, definitely. But, I mean, man, there's there's so many stories you can tell, and I realize why they tried to tell the meetup story, but I would have skipped it only because it's never going to be good enough, you know? Yeah, and with that comes our rating. So, James, I'm going to have you go first because I'm kind of torn a little bit. 
you know, I, I wanted to say, this is a pull for me. And I know me, I'm not going to not read it. Yeah. I'm still I'm still excited to read the future issues, but it's a pull for me, but I'm not as enthusiastic about it as I thought I would be and wanted to be. Uh-huh. And I'm hoping that issue two brings me back to that excitement level. Now, here's the thing. I understand people who are hearing us review this are saying, why was it your guys pick of the week this week on your on your Facebook page and on your website? Well, the reason why was because of the whole anniversary and you had all the, the publicity around it. So How could it not be? Exactly. It was one of those things. Um, it's not the direction I would wish it would be going, but it, it the second hat the second story does show me some promise. Um, for me this is a pickup. I mean, give me more Hill Valley in the future in oh, 2015 yeah. or even a little bit before that. You know, how does, what's this whole thing that uh, Marty McFly Jr. is supposed to go do with Griff that he wants him to say no to? What are, what are the details? Give us that kind of stuff, and I think that we'll be happier. Yep, and that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. Again, sponsored by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards and Aragorn Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great things he has for you and the nerds you love. But coming up next, boy, oh boy, do we have a double scoop of whoop-ass and just geekery and lightsabers and force. We're going to be talking about the new Star Wars trailer, of course, and also we're going to be reviewing CBS's Supergirl. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next. This is comic book writer Nancy Collins, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Boy, oh boy, do we have an extra size helping of This Week in Geektainment for you this week. Not only are we going to be talking about two, actually, we are going to be talking about two major releases in different ways this week. And Nick, I think we should start with the pilot episode of Supergirl. And we actually got to do something. Uh, we could talk about this now. We got to do something very special this week that uh, it was actually very cool. That's right, James. We were actually invited by CBS to take part in a teleconference with a bunch of people from Supergirl. Of course, Melissa Benoist was there. We got to talk to her. Also, producers Greg Belanti, Allie Adler, and Andrew Kreisberg. And it was just a fun, fun time to be there with them and just to talk about Supergirl and everything else like that. It's really, really fun. You know, we kind of got some inside information a little bit on what's going to happen and just what's going to ex- what we can expect going forward as the season progresses. And it was, it was really fun. Yeah, I mean, it was it was nice to hear from them uh, where their heads are at with the series. And, of course, the people talked about, you know, will this tie in Arrow and Flash? And they were saying, how they, you know, there's no plans to do that at this time. But with, And right. I think it was Kreisberg that said, with success comes a lot of things. So, you know, they didn't shut the door on that. We kind of knew that already, but it was nice to hear it from them. And just the way Melissa Benoist was talking about uh, Supergirl and saying that, you know, you call her whatever you want. Supergirl, Superwoman, she kicks ass. Yeah. No matter what. And that was her, those were her exact words. I just want her to kick ass. And she does, dude. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, one thing that Melissa talked about, and a lot of the questions that people were asking were, were you know, mostly gender based, you know, how does it feel being a, a role model for women and everything else? And she said it was great, you know. And I liked how the, the, one of the questions that was asked during the conference was somebody asked, you know, uh, about Halloween and what she dressed up as. She said, you know, Supergirl will be fun, but she was always said she was a Jedi. Yeah, she was Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I thought was great. So I'm sure that, you know, Melissa, if you're listening, we're going to be reviewing the Star Wars Force Awakens trailer here in just a few minutes. So definitely stick around for that. But the fact that she dressed up as Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think is great. Yeah, and I mean, it's, I think that, you know, all the producers on the show, just, it's a great head guy. I mean, you know, we talked to, you know, Greg Berlanti and Allie Adler and, you know, Andrew Kreisberg, and they're all 
remember we had David Harewood on a couple weeks ago uh-huh. and the enthusiasm that he had. And they even had, and they, and they too had that enthusiasm oh, that he definitely. had too. And it's just, it's a project that everybody's just really, really excited about. But let's move forward, James, with our review of CBS Supergirl. So, Let's see how you're the DC person. Let's let's uh, start. Let's have you kick it off. I love the fact that first of all, CBS realizes that, and and DC realizes this as well, is that not everybody has been you know knee deep in Supergirl comic lore or even comic book lore at all. So CBS is trying to make this for everybody. So I think that they did a great job right at the beginning of the episode where they explain her origin, explain why she had to leave Krypton, when she left Krypton, how it is that. Superman got to Krypton, got to Earth before she did, and yes. why she's older than him, but it doesn't look like that kind of thing. And actually, what ends up happening, and we're going to try not to spoil a lot of this, like we normally would with, review, with reviews. Let me tell you why. Basically, you know, our show's come out on Friday. The pilot comes out on Monday. We've already seen it. We don't want to spoil it for anybody that has not gotten the opportunity to see the pilot yet. Maybe you're listening to this on Monday. You've already seen the pilot. Maybe you're listening to it on Tuesday. But for the benefit of those who haven't seen it, we're not going to spoil any big plot points for you. And to say this, we saw it legally. (laughs) <laughs> yes, we did. CBS uh, was was kind enough to let us get a peek at the pilot early, so we do appreciate that. Um, but I thought they did a great job of explaining it. And, you, you know, we, we see her Earth parents, but we don't see a lot about them in the first episode. We There's a lot about her Kryptonian parents, though. There's a lot about her Kryptonian, Kryptonian parents. And, you know, one thing is when you first see the opening scene, and, you know, they, there's they report about how big the budget was just for the pilot alone – you see why it costs oh, yeah. so much. And they really and it doesn't look like bad CG or it looks really, really good. And I like again, as you mentioned, I liked in the beginning how they explained her origin without having to make it an origin story mostly. They got and, they got it out of the way right away. I mean it was really oh, yeah. Quick. Oh yeah. And what was great about it too is as the show as the episode progresses, she's aware she has power. You know, she knows. Yep. It's not like she grows up and just randomly, you know, what's happening to me kind of thing. It's like she knows she has power. She just hasn't used them in a while. Uh-huh. And when she does start to use them, it's when things really start clicking. And it's just an amazing, amazing job of Melissa. And just, I got a very Devil Wears Prada feel about this in the well, beginning. Well, I mean, Callista Flockhart. Oh, my gosh. My gosh. If you, she's a total bitch and i mean that and i mean that in a good way and i think that if if uh, andrew and, G- and greg and Allie, or if you're listening that's a compliment oh she's, okay she, she's the J- i think jo- you meant that so she's kind of the J. jonah jameson of this universe times except, 10 except she doesn't except, well, except she doesn't view supergirl as a villain no she views her as a as a prop as a tool oh yeah to be able to sell her sell her media and they very much modernize the media in this episode which i think is smart they're bringing it into the modern world so you do mention the daily planet and newspaper type stuff but they're very much bringing it into the 21st century oh yeah which i think is very smart well they, they do mention the whole kind of like you know papers dying kind of thing and you know mm-hmm. there's, there's a little bit of a story arc with that but i mean you know let's let's get to the more of the because you've got, you know you have this this property a lot of things like Flash and Arrow kind of mostly Flash has that villain of the week thing mm-hmm. and we're gonna get that kind of with Supergirl we're gonna get that villain of the week maybe every couple of weeks and and they mentioned you, that yeah and they mentioned that and uh, you know the best part is it works like it works in how these these evil beings get to Earth 
it really does work the way they sell it. They they give you a exact explanation as to how and why you're going to get a villain of the week. There is a very easy explanation for it. They <laughs> they reveal it. They tell you exactly what it is right in the beginning of the episode as well. So that will explain. Kind of like The Flash did the same thing. It's very similar. Yeah. I will say that to how they did it in The Flash. But we also do, uh, I don't want to skip ahead, but I do want to let people know that we do get the hint of a big bad at the end of the episode. Oh, yes, we do. And also, yeah, you know, for those of you who have DVR, I expect everybody does. There's a certain scene, I don't want to say what it is, but you'll know, where they showcase a few pictures of some bad guys on a screen. Yes, yes. You need to pause it because... Absolutely pause it. Because, holy shit. There's one on there. Now, we can't be 100% certain because it's not like there was a name on there. No. But, and we'll talk about this after the pilot airs, okay? We'll be talking about Supergirl a lot, I'm sure, on the show because it's going to be maybe the biggest show of the fall. Yeah. There is one on there that if we're right about who this is, look out. Yeah. Okay? Because this is a big, big... This is one of those villains where if they were to ever have a huge team up with the Flash and Arrow and all that, that might be the person that they have to go after. Oh, exactly. And you know, I, I think that, that, that who we're talking about... I could see... Again, I could see maybe... Late season, maybe a season two for, for this villain. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, t- to drop a little bit of a hint, if anybody's reading Batman Superman from DC right now, this villain was actually featured early on in the series, right around like issue 9, 10, something like that. Mm-hmm. This villain was featured actually in the... Well, I could tell people, for, for anybody that hasn't read it, but if you've read it, this is your chance to kind of get a little bit of a hint. When they did the video game arc... Yeah. In that story, that villain. Yep. That villain that does something very, very bad to Batman in that series. That's the villain I'm talking about. So you kind of get an idea of what's going on there. But, I mean, just the sheer volume of things that they could do, and just from that picture alone. And then there's a ton of major reveals in this first episode, by the way. Oh, exactly. I mean, this is just so much action, and there's certain things that she does... That I mean, yeah, we see in the tra- in the trailer her saving the plane and kind of stuff like that. But even the seeing that live, like you know, live, you're just still like, oh my god! And then there's a little bit of a twist as the show goes on, and you don't see it going on anywhere. And I just want to say to David Harewood, we had on the show, great job, sir, as Hank Henshaw. On that oh, no episode. doubt. I mean, just. And what's funny is you hear him on our show, okay? Go back a couple episodes if you didn't get a chance to hear the interview. You hear him on a show and how nice of a guy he is and how cool and how excited oh, he is. He's he cold. Is, he is such a cold fish in this episode. <laughs> and he is so just matter of fact that it it just makes me appreciate even more how good of a job he does as Hank Henshaw after talking to him. Absolutely brilliant. Well, I mean, you know, again, just the writing is phenomenal. It, it, when you watch this pilot, it just feels like everybody on the show is just having fun. You know, and what I'm there's saying? something for everybody in this show. There's a lot oh, yeah. of action. There's a lot of those, you know, family type moments. There's a lot of those, you know, you know, stuff that that women and men will enjoy about this show. I think. And and you know, before we move on to Star Wars, there's one final thing I want to do talk about. It's kind of the elephant in the room, and that's Superman. Yep. He is in the pilot. But he's not in the pilot. <laughs> he's in the pilot, 
kind of kind <laughs> of sort of thing yeah they don't sh- they, they they show him but they don't show him um, yeah and and they've and they've made it a very big point and they've they said this i think at new york comic-con that it's not about him they're gonna no. make this show about supergirl and, and i think that that and they did say later on in the in the season they, there will be an explanation as to why superman doesn't show up in certain instances right they will go through that Right, and that's the thing. That's why I wanted to point on is that they do explain why he's there in a little bit of flash uh, parts of scenes. It's mostly in the beginning he's in it, and then most of the rest is just you know Jimmy or James Olsen, I should say. That's, that's right, James Olsen. Getting a little uh, more formal. Great job by McCod Brooks. Uh, McCod Brooks is great, but when James Olsen, you know, he pretty much is is saying yeah he's here. It's it's again it's one of those things where it's like you know you look at Arrow and Flash. Arrow has Star City to take care of. Flash has Central City. She has her thing, he has his thing, kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? It's, exactly. it's just it's just one of those things. That's not spoiling anything because if you've read the no, comics, no, no, no. you know. Well, before we move on, uh, since this is what we do when we typically review shows, let's give our ratings for okay. Supergirl. So on a scale of one to ten, I guess this doesn't really spoil anything either. Scale of one to ten, how do you feel about Supergirl? I'd give it I'd give it a nine I give it nine capes out of ten. I'm going to give it uh, also nine flowing locks of Melissa Benoist's hair. <laughs> That's not creepy. No, it's not creepy at all. <laughs> but, I mean, you see her in that suit. She looks the part. Oh, yeah. It's amazing, and it's going to be an amazing show going forward. But we also know something that's going to be extraordinarily amazing is the Star Wars Force Awakens, and we got that trailer during Monday Night Football. Oh, my God. You know, I'm going to go on a limb here, James. I'm going to say that opening weekend, Star Wars is going to be number one. You mark my words. It's going to come out of nowhere. And it's going to be I'm skeptical. The I'm skeptical, but I, I might be willing to join you on that. And James, I think let's go to the more bigger story of this, that nerds everywhere had to watch ESPN. Not only that, but they had to watch the first half of a Monday Night Football game. I so much you, complaining on social I gotta media. I got to tell you, with all that complaining that happened last night and throughout probably the, mostly the weekend, it was at that moment I had wished, and this might make me a dick, but you deserve it if you're somebody who complained about having to watch football. Because I hate hearing people say they got complain about stuff, simple stuff like that. I wish that they, instead of airing on Monday Night Football during halftime, aired it during a marathon of the Star Wars prequels did not tell people when they were going to show it. I'll go you one better. Okay. I would have done it during General Hospital. <laughs> or Days of Our Lives or something. During like a soap a day- opera. Like a daytime soap opera? Yeah, you, you want punishment? There's your punishment right there. Or during like a Kardashians <laughs> marathon or something. Or or like tra- you know, Trash Time TV, you know, the Jerry Springer's, the Mollies. Yeah. You put it on E and then don't tell a nerd when they're going to air it. So you have to watch the Kardashians for half of your Saturday before you finally see the Force Awakens trailer, which, by the way, came out two minutes after it aired on ESPN on YouTube, by the way. Exactly. But without further ado, let's dive into this this just plethora of nerdgasm and yes and just, oh my God, my heart's just exploding with joy for Star Wars The Force Awakens, the final trailer, we believe, which probably will be because the movie comes out in a couple of months, my guess is, is the final trailer of J.J. Abrams' of Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. And, dude, wow. <laughs> I'm just saying, they, they, they kick it up a notch every time yeah. with these trailers. And, and you know they're doing it that way on purpose. So, bravo to J.J. Abrams and the group for giving us nerds exactly what we want. When we want it. And this was actually 
focused a lot on Daisy Ridley and on uh, John Boyega's characters. It seemed like, yeah, Ray and Finn. It's what focused mostly on. And you know, we're you know kind of talking after the trailer. We said, okay, what does this mean? It's going on here, and you know, we see Finn with the lightsaber, and it looks like he's gonna you know maybe duel Kilo Ren that force there. You know. Again, he he's talking about how not having a purpose, but we don't know. Maybe he could be a double agent. Yeah, I have a th- I have a theory about that. I think that there's a very strong possibility he is a double agent because I want to point out one particular scene in this trailer. Yeah, where it's Oscar Isaac kind of walks by him, and and by him I mean Finn. Yeah. Walks by him and kind of gives him the whole "attaboy, let's go get him" kind of look, and then Finn gives this look. It's yeah. very strange and weird not and oddly mention, angry. <laughs> not to mention, how does Fingers hand on a lightsaber? Exactly. Like, and, especially, and we say, mind you, a lot of people are saying that that's Anakin's, probably Anakin's Sky, Skywalker's lightsaber because it's blue. Right. And who else wields a blue lightsaber, you know, other than outside of, uh, you know, Luke when he lost his hand, you know? And we say that, you know, like you said, he doesn't have a purpose and everything like that. So just look at it. Look at that point in the trailer and tell me that there isn't a possibility that he's a double agent. And, and have... the whole theme with Kilo Ren, yes. the whole, I'm going to finish what you started, looking at Darth Vader's mangled mask kind of thing. It's like, yeah. whoa, so something's going on. So it's, it's something tells me with Kilo Ren, either he's going to try to hunt down Luke Skywalker, or he's going to do what the Emperor said, where Luke Skywalker's fate is to turn dark. And, and at this point... We don't. We, we see Luke Skywalker in this trailer, but again, it's from the first. It's the same thing from the first trailer. He puts his hand on R two. Right. But what if, dude, he goes into hiding like Yoda in Return of the Jedi, and he's not all there? No, it, that could be it. I mean, he's been. Th- think about how much this guy's been through. Okay, he's yeah. been through a lot of stuff. So there's a good possibility. That he's just, like you said, not all there anymore. So we don't really know what side he's on. Or maybe he's just trying to keep himself from being on one side or the other by being a recluse in the first place. But do we see kind of a flashback to Empire Strikes Back where somebody goes to him for training? Or like you said, does Kilo Ren try and hunt him down to either bring him to the dark side finally or to do something else? Well, the thing that's going to be going around is that is from just various reports is that we're not going to see Luke until the third act. So, which is fine. Which is fine. So that means that something might. I think they're going to. They're, what they're going to do is that whole thing where maybe he's not quite all there. He might be turning to the dark side a little bit, or kind of like in the gray right now. I would think um, would play into Episode Eight. I think they're going to use Luke as more of a a prop. I would say for Episode Eight. Which, which would make sense. Right. I think that this is going to be a Han and Leia show. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and, Force and speaking of Han, dude, that line where he says, you know, the Force, the Jedi, they're real. Yeah, it's, exactly. That's Chills. huge, man. Remember in, the pre- in, the, in, the, in the old, you know, the, the original trilogy, he's talking about, oh, it's not, it doesn't exist. It's all, you know, fake and everything else and mystical and whatever. And No, he's like, no, that's, that's fucking real. Yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with that. And think about this. Remember the big reveal from the Star Wars comics? Yeah. When it came to Han Solo. Oh, yeah. How, how do we know that maybe Finn could be his son? Yeah. That's a possibility. That's a possibility. Okay? You might think I'm crazy. If you're reading the Star Wars comics, not so crazy. This is actually a possibility. And remember, we could have a little bit of the Force going around in there. I'm just saying. 
Yeah. And that and that and that Han and Leia family and his and his other wife. You never know. I'm just saying there's some stuff going on know. here. And there's a lot of different possibilities. Exactly. But I, again, I mean, my only fear with Star Wars is that everybody's just hyping it up, hyping it up, and then they go see it. Two things will happen. They'll either have the it didn't live up my expectations, even though it was a great movie, because they overhyped it, or they do like people people did with Phantom Menace, where they go see it and they say, "Oh my God, it's amazing! It's amazing!" And then what happens? The more they see it, the more they're like, "Yeah, it's a piece of shit." Well, it's the excitement. There's always going to be that excitement from when you've when you've been waiting this long, or maybe not a piece of shit, but just at least it was a disappointment, or just was again didn't live up to what I expected it to be. Well, I mean, and and look at what. It- Here's the difference this time around, I think. Yeah. When you had the prequels as the as the new movies coming out, look what they had to go up against, okay? They had to yeah. go up against a, an original trilogy that may be the best movie trilogy ever. By the way, I'm, that new poster, I'm kind of digging C-3PO's new right arm. It looks like he's been playing a little bit of a, you know, a, a Phantom Pain too much, that new Metal Gear Solid game. I'm digging it, man. I'm digging all of it. But then, <laughs> yeah. but then now back to my point. Think about the last impression that these movies have to live up to, which is the prequels. That's not as much as that that you need to live up to. Yeah, it's not such a high hurdle. So that's your last impression. So if anything, these movies kind of have the benefit of bringing bringing the Star Wars world back to where people wanted it to be. It's all things are always going to get compared to the original trilogy, but I yeah. think that fans are just going to be so happy that they're getting something better than they got the last time around that mm-hmm. they're going to appreciate these more. So, final thoughts James, what's your take on on the new Star Wars trailer and and what do you expect out of it? A lot of action, a lot of intrigue, a lot of different directions that they could take this, all of which seem pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go into it really hyped, but I'm also going to go into it uh, you know, not too hyped, just so I can appreciate it for what it is and just be happy that we're getting this at all. I think we're gonna see beautiful cinematography just from what we've seen from the trailer, with the, especially with the you know the Millennium Falcon fighting the Tie Fighters and the X Wings and everything else like that. Um, I expect a cliffhanger. I really do going into Episode Eight. No I think doubt. it's gonna revolve around Luke Skywalker, and I think somebody major here is gonna die. I don't want to say who, cause, but I, I think somebody's. I think. You know, what I will say because just say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think I think Han Solo is going to die in this movie. Wow, I think so. Because in the trailer we see Ray crying. Why is she crying? That's a good point. Could it be Han dies? Could it be Chewbacca gets killed? I it could be Chewie, man. It could you be know? Chewie. That's that's a possibility. Because you know? think about think about where that would lead. Now Han has to live without somebody that he's been riding with forever. Yeah. And how does that affect him and the family going forward? That that could be even more major than actually Han dying. Yeah. I, I so I think one of the original characters are gonna die. Or or BB eight gets kicked Pele style into a <laughs> galaxy far, far away. <laughs> we have like we have like a, a pod racing scene but it's just soccer and it's just BB 8s getting kicked around. I'm just saying that uh, they don't call it the evil empire for nothing. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. I just want to go to Target and just kick that little BB-8 around as they have there at the, at the toy stand. Just kick it around like it's like like on Pele. Hey, Jameson, Jameson loves that thing. I have to walk by it like six or seven times every time we go to Target. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's why. <laughs> Even if I had a girlfriend, she'd be, I'd be like, honey, we got to walk by. We have to walk by this again. We walked by it ten times. We got to walk by it. It doesn't matter. We're doing it again. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, I have to walk around Victoria's Secret or wherever you want to walk around. I got to walk around Beth and Bioworks looking at fucking candles all day. I can walk, We can walk by the goddamn toy aisle and target for ten more times and look at the fucking BB-8 that's moving around because it's goddamn work of magic. You knew what you were getting into. When we got together, so this yeah. is what's this is what's happening. Yeah, you've been in my living room. You know what you've gotten into. That's you see right. all the, I got Muriel on the freaking coffee table for Christ's sakes. You know what you got into when you when they, when she dated me. Absolutely, but that's what that's our this week in Geek Tainment special extended edition. We feel that you're probably worthy enough to yeah. stick around. We got nerd news coming up next on Down I, and Nerdy. This is comic book writer and co-creator of Deadpool, Fabian Niciesa, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds, we go around the internet and we see what's trending in the geek world, because it's time for what, James? No! News! We only have three stories this week because, of course, we did the extended version of Geektainment. So, James, our first story deals with this. In the history of nerddom and geekdom, there's no two bigger names alive right now than Bill Shatner and Stan Lee. Am I correct? Uh, no doubt about it. Okay, so when we found out that LNL Partners teamed up with Shatner to launch his own imprint called Shatner Singularity, we found out that the imprint will also release Stan Lee's latest graphic novel as well as publish additional works authored by Shatner himself. Wow, and I mean, this is information, we're going to get way more information during Com- Stanley's Kamikaze, which is going to be, uh, the panel's going to be Sunday on November the 1st, out there yeah. in California, but I got to tell you, when you bring these two names together, instant credibility. I also think it's interesting that, you know, Shatner kind of shied away from the geek world for a while, and he's, you know, just started going back, doing cons again and stuff like that, yeah. and now he's actually going to be writing Comics and graphic novels. How crazy is that? Not only that, but first, like Stan, like this gonna be Stan Lee stuff that's gonna have Shatner's name on it. And we knew, we saw, finally, like, a couple weeks back, they were working on some joint venture, a joint project. We always wondered what it was. And I mean, this is huge, man. I mean, you get two of literally the biggest names in all of geekdom. Shit, and I think in, in all of pop culture, I would say, imagine, two of the, some, two of the, some of the biggest names of pop culture. And oh, no doubt. Them, you know, together, it's going to create a lot of buzz. And I'm going to tell you, man, I, I really want to get my hand on one of these these books because it's going to be really amazing. I'm also curious to see if every other word is going to have like a comma after it, like Shatner speak. That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, hey, you never know. It could. Wouldn't we be kind of okay with that if it did, honestly? I would do – well – Part would be if I'm reading it, I'll be reading it out loud and be like, there's something going on over there. Turn the page. I would imagine, like, oh my God, can you imagine a William Shatner audiobook with him talking like that? Just that, like that would be great. But oh. you know, there's, there's other big names that are involved in this imprint as well. I mean, and, and it was easy to kind of miss this when you're looking at the story, but Mariano Niciesa, who is the brother of Fabian Niciesa, <laughs> is actually part of this imprint as well. I know, dude. Like, it's just, it's really, really amazing. So, I mean, you know, really quickly, what's your, just your, your final thoughts on, on this, just this team up? And what do you expect coming out of this? I expect Shatner to do what Shatner does and has done throughout his entire career. I think that people are going to expect him to tell one kind of a story. And yeah. he's going to left field 
And he's going to tell you a story that you do not expect him to be able to do because Shatner's done that his entire career. It's he's just playing Captain Kirk. It's just going to be an expose on his sexual conquest of the women of like Thoran or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, it'll be it'll be in the boudoir with Shat. Like <laughs> yeah. <that. laughs> yeah. But speaking of the Nicieses, of course, Fabian is mostly known for, of course, co-creating Deadpool, of course, with Rob Liefeld and. Marvel is doing something really pretty awesome with Deadpool. And, and the thing is, is, you know, we're getting a new Deadpool comic coming out soon. You know, part of that whole new universe that Marvel's doing right now. But they're actually reprinting nine major issues of Deadpool. And one of them being, of course, New Mutants 98. And what is that, you ask? Well, that's the first time we ever see the Merkle with a Mouth. And, and what they do is they're creating these, uh, they created a line called True Believers, and they've actually done this with quite a few uh, issues in the past. They did it with some Spider-Man stuff and yep. some other stuff previously, where they will release them for a dollar. So you get to kind of catch up on some of the older issues, or maybe go back to a number one issue that you haven't read before. And like you said, one of them is the creation of Deadpool. We've got the Deadpool weddings going to be in there as well, and a, yep, whole bunch of, a whole bunch of other stuff like that. So, I mean, with the movie coming out, these comics are going to come out in January. With the movie coming out then in February, I think this is a smart move, especially for people that, you know, maybe people like me that haven't really read Deadpool in the past, to be able to, you know, get these books for a dollar a piece wait, wait, and kind of catch up. You've known me for a few years now. You know the collection of Deadpool shit I have in my bookshelf. Not oh, yeah. once have you come to me and asked for a Deadpool comic. Well, you know, I gotta find the right place to jump in. Why not my fucking bookshelf? I have, like, the number ones for a lot of shit of his. That is true. God damn you with them, you disappoint me. <laughs> Holy shit, it's like... But, a- I mean, I can go back and read New Mutants 98. That you do not have on your bookshelf. That I don't have, but, I mean, god damn, if I was going back and saying, hey, I want to read Flashpoint, whatever like that, I'd go to you because you fucking have it. That is true. But, <laughs> oh, God, I thought we were friends, dude. Damn. I'm hurt. Uh, I'm sorry I hurt you, man. That's okay. It's it's okay. I've been. It's okay. It's it's really it's a hate crime that you beat the shit out of me with my feelings. That you know? is true. That is true. But, there are circumstances. No, again, I mean, there's this whole the, the whole Deadpool things. What they're releasing, you know, it's, there's no number ones. It's mostly mid run stuff. You know, issue ninety eight, of course, New Mutants, uh, issue twenty five, Wolverine Origins, and so on and so forth. You know, of course, Deadpool Wedding, which was issue twenty seven. Um, but this is smart, and I, I think it's smart because. My only biggest fear and gripe about Deadpool since him being quote unquote literally in quotes killed off because how can you call the character yet give him tons of spinoffs? Yeah. Anyways, um, is that they're they're oversaturating him. Two characters I think Marvel are oversaturating people with right now are are Deadpool and Spider Gwen. And I understand that they're big. You know, we have they have big followings. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm one of the people. You know, and, and, and loves Deadpool so much. I mean, shit. I was there's was actually a time. You know, a while back, I was just thinking about getting a Deadpool logo tattooed on me. Wow, and you're not a tattoo guy. No. Um, but, uh, you know, my fear is that they, they need to know when to pull it back a little bit. And this is kind of, I think, serves as a little bit of a refresher because they're not like, here's another, here's another you know, Deadpool comic. Here's another Deadpool comic. It's more, hey, here's some older stuff that we think you'd like from Deadpool. We're going to bring it back out instead of just re pushing out new right. and flooding new new books and series and flooding the markets. I mean, there's a time during the summer, dude, there was like five different Deadpool comics. I had oh, my I know, yeah. It was just different things. It was like, you know, you had Night of Living Deadpool, you had Deadpool versus X-Force, and, 
You know, it's just many varieties of different shit. Right, and I mean, it's been done with Batman, it's been done with Harley Quinn over on the uh, on the DC side, so I totally get the whole oversaturation thing. I also get the want to capitalize on something that is hugely popular in the comics world and will soon be hugely popular in the pop culture world. So I understand why they're doing it, and I think this, like you said, is the smart way to do it. Give us the opportunity to go back and revisit the stories of how Deadpool became Deadpool without having to drop, like... And it's difficult for some people to drop $20, $25 on a graphic novel well, not to just try and that. catch up, you know? Well, not just that, but they had to spend lots of time, either, like, on our Amazon store or other sites, or, you know, or, or online stores to find and hunt down certain books or go yeah. to, you know, drive around your, your town, go to multiple comic shops, try and get at least, like, the first few issues together for a certain poll, see if they have it, you know, it might be a rarity, you know? And it's just, like... it. it these is where you have like I want to say this is like Deadpool's greatest hits collection. Yeah, exactly. Releasing. That's what it is. And, and without and the time life infomercial. Ex- exactly. You know, and you know this this nine comic book set can be yours for you know five easy payments of whatever you know or <laughs> or, or well I should say nine easy payments of a dollar. But remember you know, famous phrases like chimichangas and I and boobies and I love the smell of pancakes in the morning you know um, but I mean yeah I mean it's, it's a smart move by Marvel and a smart move by also another publisher since we're talking about the oversaturation that Marvel and DC are putting in with a lot of their comics they're flooding the market I mean Jesus we look at like you know comiclist.com you know and we just look at all the comics from the two of them it was just like Wow, there's like five different Superman comics coming out. Yeah. There's five different Batmans. There's five different Spider-Mans and so on and so forth. So Boom Studios actually is doing the opposite of that. They're seeing that these two main hitters, DC and Marvel, you know, and you know, I guess you want, if you want to throw Image in there as well, are putting out these tons and tons of comics. And so they're planning, what Boom's planning to do is reduce the number of titles that they publish in 2016 uh, with the studios and Arcade and Prince taking a bigger share of the reductions. And Boom's president of publishing and marketing, Philippe Sablik, told ICV2 that, you know, the reason why, again, is because, you know, you have the whole flooding of the markets and just a lot of saturation with these the big hitters. And also, um, we somebody who likes their graphic novels, they're going to actually take, he actually said they're going to take less of the cuts than single-issue comics. I mean, that's fine. I actually think that this is a smart thing for them to do. And I actually noticed something that, Boom's transitioned into a lot of four-issue arcs and six-issue yeah. six arcs. And then what they'll do is, if that's successful and people want more, they'll release a second volume instead of necessarily making it an ongoing, which I think is pretty smart. Like, uh, there's a comic that I reviewed on our website, down at odpodcast.com, called uh, Cognetic. And it's going to be three oversized issues instead of a standard four- or six-issue arc. So I thought that that was interesting. I just like that Boom, Boom is trying different things. Right. They're trying to find that that happy medium to give people the stories that they want without flooding the marketplace with spin-offs and and new ongoing series for for the same characters. And I think that they want to bring out new characters too. They're trying to make room for new characters to move into other character spaces. So I think that this is a smart thing to do. And I want to reiterate uh, I want to make this clear something about this interview and the story. Nowhere in this story did they say that Boom was actually letting go of any employees. No, it was no employees. Just they're just lowering the amount of content that they release, and they're going to they're they're doing kind of what if you look at a, a company like Valiant, for example, where they have 
X amount of characters and they do books about those X amount of characters. Mm-hmm. Boom is going to start to get to that point and they actually are going to do that in 2016 where they're going to be like, okay, here's these, these stories, these books, you know, like you said, like whole Cognatic and everything else. Let's expand upon those. Let's have these certain characters, these certain amount of books, these amounts, these amounts of story arcs. Focus on these instead of focusing on how many we can, stories we can put out. Let's focus on the ones we already have, which is, of course, right. smart. Right, and they don't have a whole lot of adaptable properties either like some of the other uh, publishers do. Like they have um, Sleepy Hollow is one thing right. that they do comics for, but they don't have a lot of that TV or film adaptation properties, and that's not a bad thing. No, and and the thing is, you know, look at like a, a Titan comics, for example, as well. And you know, just, you know, publishers of the, of these size. Here's here's where they're smart. Marvel and DC, I think they're getting to a point right now where they're gonna have so much content out that people are gonna lose track of what's out. People, especially also, in different universes. Also, also, it's a risk because people are gonna be getting burnt out. Like, oh my god, I don't need six different, you know. Spider Gwen comics. I don't need you know twenty different uh, you, you know Wonder Woman comics you know, or whatever. Yeah, you know, and their continuity is not always there either between the arcs. That, Sometimes that, they're different. That right there, sir, you just have the main thing. When you look at certain arcs, I want to bring up Deadpool because we just talked about him. You know, Deadpool had you know Night of the Living Deadpool and everything else like that. Some of the comics didn't play out of the fact that he was already dead. Yeah. You know, and, and some of the facts, it was more like flashbacks or, or memories or whatever like that. But it, it's just one of those things. So it's like, you know, if you're reading the, a current, you know, um, Aquaman run or whatever, and then they say, okay, here's, you know, Justice League Aquaman, you know, and then you have the regular Aquaman run, but there's no continuity and they're two different Aquamans and we're both written differently. You're going to be like, oh my God, like, like, I don't, it kind of makes you lose sense of who the character is because there's just so many different ways they're pulling them in different directions. And most of these arcs, by the way, are always written by different people. Right. So you're getting somebody else's take on the same character. I mean, the publisher can go all they want and say, now, you know, try and keep the same theme with the characters. And that's not always what happens in between the the two different writings. And here's the other thing. Then... Let's not even discount TV and film because then you've got totally different TV and film versions of these same exact characters. So there's more continuity that you don't really have. Well, that, but also that we're seeing certain continuity being pushed towards the cinematic universe. And then there's that. You know, and that's the thing. And so you're like, okay, I'm reading this. I like the way they're taking a certain character. And then this character gets a movie and they bring it towards that movie realm. And you're like, Oh my God, no! Like I, I don't like this at all, you know, because they're 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 doing kind of like a one eighty on the character, right? Exactly, and, and it's just because you have two different. Again, it, it's with the writing. No two writers write the same. You have to pretty much, you know, find that continuity. And then Boom is doing something very very smart, man. I mean, again, it, you should it shouldn't be about the number of you know cars you have on your lot. It's focusing on which cars sell the most. Right, exactly. You want to pick your winners and, and run with them and tell different stories. But but you end one story and start another. Kind exactly. Of thing. I think that's what they want to do. They want to do like a four to six issue arc of a certain story with a certain character. That's done. We move on to the next story kind of thing. Exactly. Speaking of moving on, that's going to do it for Nerd News this week. But come next, oh my God, we have probably one of the biggest interviews in the history of the podcast. We're going to be joined by the writer Mark Millar and the artist Raphael Albuquerque of Image Comics is Huck 
And that's going to be just an amazing, amazing discussion. So stay tuned. Our interview with Mark Millar and Raphael Albuquerque come next on Down and Nerdy. Hey, I'm Chloe Dextra, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Ever since we heard about it, there's been a new series from Image Comics that Nick and I have been very excited about called Hawk coming out on November the 18th. We're very excited to have the writer and the artist on that series, the incomparable Mark Millar and the bearded wonder Raphael Albuquerque. Guys, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm very well. Oh, man. And once we were, you know, we were talking before the show, and this is really the first time you guys have really spoken to one another verbally, like outside of email. Yeah, exactly. A Brazilian and a Scottish guy, you know, we're never going to understand each other as well. This is going to be baffling. We're going to have to go back to email after this. <laughs> now, we don't need to expect any soccer riots or anything at any point during the show, do we? I think the Brazilians just have got us beat. We just have to accept this. <laughs> well, maybe maybe the the soccer riots is, is what unites us in a way, and comics, I guess. <laughs> oh, definitely, and I think it's great to unite around a series like Hawk. And actually, Nick and I were talking before starting the interview, and we were saying that rarely does a book just grab us like this. So why don't you tell us a little bit about him and how the story came about? Um, well, I mean, for me, I just wanted to do something a little different. You know, I mean, most of my stuff kind of starts with everybody dead, then, you know, it gets worse from there, you know, and I just thought, wouldn't it be nice to do something really sweet and nice and just a big all-American kind of book? And I thought, who better than a Brazilian like Rafael Albuquerque to draw this all-American <laughs> book? You know, a Scottish guy and a Brazilian, like I said. But it, it, but it was just something, I wanted to do a folktale, an American myth kind of thing, try and create a new one. I wanted to do something that was like Frank Capra doing superheroes of superheroes have never been invented. So the idea is just really simple, just like a guy doing a nice thing every day, just a really kind of a sweet Forrest Gump style superhero story that doesn't have costumes or supervillains or anything, something totally different. And Rafa's art, I mean, in a weird way, it really does feel very American to me because it makes me think of John Steinbeck and Mice and Men and things like that. It just it evokes a kind of 30s, mm -hmm. 40s American vibe for me. I don't know why. It's just, it's kind of like casting in a movie. There was just something, it just felt right. And whenever he sent through that first character sketch, I was like, ah, oh, it's fantastic. I was, I mean, I, how many emails did I send you, Rafa, saying how happy I was? It was embarrassing. Yeah, well, uh, thanks. <laughs> yes. uh, well, that's, that's actually part of what uh, really interested me in this project as well. First, first, first of the things was working with Mark, who I admire a lot and always wanted to work with him. But definitely the, the idea of doing something different. I have never done a character, you know, work with it at such a almost naive and such an optimist story before. I always go, you know, for the, the darkness and, you know, horror or, you know, extreme violence. And that's really interesting to, you know, play with different aspects of storytelling, I guess. In literature, there are certain characters whose positive actions just grab myself as a reader and makes me want to be a better person in life. And I view Huck as one of them. So in an industry, this is for, this is for both of you, in an industry where a lot of works are based around characters having unobtainable things like superpowers, how important was it for the two of you to have a character like Huck whose main trait is something obtainable, which is being both a good and giving person? I think that was the fundamental for me, you know, I, I, I had a kind of weird moment, it was kind of, you know when alcoholics are sort of lying covered in their own vomit or something and they sort of think, I've got to change my life kind of thing, you know, like I, I was watching Man of Steel mm -hmm. um, on, on Father's Day a couple of years back and I remember 
I mean, I'm the biggest Superman fan in the world, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the people who made the movie as well. But like, um, just that weird moment at the ending where Superman snaps Zod's neck to solve the problem. You know, I remember just thinking, this is weird. You know, like we've got to the point now where a hero, you know, a good guy, the ultimate good guy, his solution is to murder someone. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and I just had this thing like. There has to be another way, you know. It was like I say, it was my alcoholic moment of clarity, and I thought, I'm going to create something really nice, you know. And and the idea had been sort of percolating around that time because I thought, when I was a kid, I didn't love Batman and Superman because they were so badass, you know. Even Batman, Batman was just a kind of good guy, you know. So mm -hmm. I thought, wouldn't it be great to just create a character that that goes in the opposite direction because we've gone as far as we can go with dark Superman, you know. So like maybe go the other way and just. What makes this guy awesome is just he will do anything to make sure you're all right. He's just the, the ultimate good guy. So I wanted to create the ultimate sympathetic character. And I based it a little bit on a guy I met. I do volunteer stuff on a Friday, and I met this guy who, um, who was there for a couple of weeks. And he had this thing where he did one good deed every day. He was, he was a, a guy with learning difficulties, and he did one good deed every day. And it could be something as small as making you a cup of coffee, or it could be something big like mowing someone's lawn or something, you know? And I thought, that's a nice way to live your life. You just, every day, try to think of something nice to do. And the whole thing started to form around that, you know? So, um, so yeah, very much a reaction to, to the kind of stuff that I guess I've been reading for the last 20 years. So it sounds like Raphael agrees for the most part about that. <laughs> Sorry, you said everything. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay because it's actually something I wanted to ask you about that. One of the things I loved about the first issue are those panels where Huck just kind of gives this subtle facial expression. You know exactly what he's thinking. So as an artist, how do you approach moments like that and help drive the story forward? You know, the interesting thing about Huck is that, in a way, he's a kind of outsider of this new world we are living. Uh, because, well, we still have like, real problems in the world and violent stuff like Boko Haram and stuff. But what I what I really love about him is the way that he deals with that. It's almost it's almost, it's it's naive. You mean he, he did, I, I don't really know if he realizes the impact of of all of that. But he he's powerful and he can deal with that with goodness. And that's that's really interesting and very you know, very different than what we have right now. And so, Mark, when what's an important lesson or writing trait you learned early on in your career that you felt was most important to apply to this series in general? Um, something I learned probably later on, not so much early on, uh, is just to make you really like the protagonist. Because um, you don't always have to like the protagonist. I mean, sometimes it's very interesting not to. Sometimes characters being a little selfish or whatever is, is interesting or funny or whatever. You know, like Goodfellas. The people aren't nice people, but it's a fantastic movie. Or The Godfather too, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, I just thought wouldn't it be interesting to kind of to apply this? And I've done this with a couple of projects where you just you really really like the person, you know, um, and you would hang out with them and you you would worry about them. So I think because Huck is so nice and he's so vulnerable in his own ways that you kind of really worry. So when something dramatically bad happens, you kind of hope he's okay. And I know it's such an obvious thing to say, but as a writer, it's not something we often think about, especially when we're making the characters as angsty and complex and badass as possible. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what readers make of it. I mean, our advanced reviews are, are great. You know, the, the reaction's terrific. So it's going to be interesting to see how this hits. I mean, I've, I've got a really good feeling about it, you know, and, and I couldn't be happier. Having somebody like Rafa just brings it to life. Like you say, those facial expressions or, or, or just the, the shots he chooses and so on, they... 
these could be ruined. These moments could be ruined, especially with such a lot of silent panels. You know, these could be ruined in the wrong hands. But he's a master. He's he's fantastic. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. So this isn't really a spoiler because it's up on imagecomics.com in the description of Huck, which you can get November 18th. Pre-order date is Monday, October the 26th, that he likes to do good deeds. So what would you say, both of you, is the last good deed that you did? Uh, I'll have to think about this. I'll let Rafa go. He seems nice. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I was talking with Mark, uh, actually, about... Because, as I said, we are, we are right now in a moment uh, here in my state. Uh, we're having a lot of rain uh, and you know floods floods everywhere and especially in the rural uh in the countryside of the state so we were talking about auction the the first cover of hook uh to you know to help these people the way we can so i think that's it's not something i did already but it's on its way <laughs> i mean i think for me it's probably something very small which is because I've got a lot of young children, like sleep is the most valuable commodity in our house. Oh yes, yeah. And, and this is this is such a tiny, tiny, nice thing to do. But it was we take alternate turns, you know. That Lucy and I take alternate turns getting up with the the younger children, you know. And the kids, I don't know what the hell's going on. The kids are like getting up at five a.m. and everything. Just now. It's insane. <laughs> and TV isn't even on when we get up. There's just like some weird ads on and things, you know, and then we, then we watch television. So I'm up so early, I'm waiting like 45 minutes for TV to start, you know, um, and it's so bleak. I mean, every second day, one of us gets up, you know, we take it alternate days. And I guess this morning, I, I actually took a double turn because she looked especially tired. And I was like, it's okay, I'll get up. So, I mean, it's tiny. That's, that's how, how not nice I am that that's the best thing I can give you. See, I know exactly how you feel because I've got a one-year-old at home right now and the same kind of stuff goes on at my house. So I kn you hit me right at home there, man. I'm obsessed with sleep. It's all I talk about. Like, <laughs> all, I, I've got my two youngest are one and three. And like, um, there's a chain reaction between the two of them. One will wake up the other between 5 and 6 a.m. guaranteed, like every morning. Wow. And uh, it's horrific. It's, I mean, they're, they're, they're lucky they're so damn cute. You know, they're, they're so, so great once they get up. <laughs> But my friends and I, who are all at the same stage with children, all we talk about is sleep. Like, yes. guys, guys in their teens and 20s talk about sex. Guys in their 30s and 40s talk about sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the line of the show right there. Right there. I want I want to build on something you just said. So you said you come downstairs and there's like some weird commercials on with the, you know, with the TV. What's yeah. the weirdest commercial you, you've walked in on? That was... <laughs> um, I think recently... Uh, We've started getting some quite interesting stuff, actually. We've been getting things like those American religious channel things, you know? We can't go to those churches, but we can send them money. We can, we can send money. <laughs> and I must admit, you know when you're sort of half asleep? I've been so compelled by these guys because in my half-asleep state that I thought, I think I'm going to send them money. You know, that's, that's, I think that's how they get it. <laughs> it's like the only way to get off my TV screen if I send them money. <laughs> I think with Raphael being down there in Brazil, which is what, like one of the sexiest countries in the world, I can only imagine the kind of ads he gets down there. Well, it's hard for me to say I don't really watch TV, um, so I'm all Netflix with no advertising, so hey. I'm kind of, you know, <laughs> a bit behind of it. I'll ask my friends about what's going on TV well, right now. Oh yeah, what are you watching on Netflix right now? You know, yesterday, well, because of the, you know, Back to the Future thing. Uh, I just saw a really nice documentary about 
about how it was made and the fans and how, you know, it's still popular. And this is such a, you know, it's one of my favorite movies. And, you know, it's probably very influenced by the whole day thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's the latest thing I, I have seen. But yeah, I watch a lot of documentaries and, you know, movies in general. I, I like old movies. So, so is it kind of like when you're watching those old movies, you kind of like draw some inspiration from those when you, you know, go on to work for a certain project at all, or is it just more like you look at what the script is for the project and you just go from there, or do, or do I, like I said, do you just draw, you know, you say, oh, I watched this old classic documentary or whatever film, and I just feel like the art style of this would match with this. Uh, yeah, well, I don't really go to the movies in in looking for reference. I try to, you know, since I. I work with comics uh, every day. I try when I when I go to watch a movie at night. I just try to stay away from work for a while, you know. So mm -hmm. I try to just uh, you know relax and see something that distracts me. But eventually, of course, you know, I'm right now. I'm drawing this this American Vampire arc with the Gemini uh, rocket thing, and I don't know. A couple of days ago, I watched for the first time um, Man in Black Three. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole Gemini thing. So I was looking at it and, you know, I wish I had seen that movie before. So I, w I would have like a much stronger library of, you know, images to work on the book, but I didn't. <laughs> well, speaking of movies, Mark, I know that you've got another project of yours that's going to be adapted to a movie. It was actually one of my favorite comic arcs of the past year, Chrononauts. So I got to take a break from Hawk for a minute and ask, when can we expect to see more Chrononauts and is an announcement coming soon as to who's going to play Corbin and Danny? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we know who, who the guys are going to be, you know, like um, we, we don't have a director yet, actually, for that one. Um, and the screenplay has been put together by a guy called Chris Morgan, who's the uh, brains behind The Fast and the Furious, who's fantastic. He's a pal of mine. He did Wanted with me uh, back in 2008 as well, you know, so like, uh, so it's in really good hands. But it won't be the next movie. The next movie will be the Kingsman sequel, right. which starts shooting on April the 1st. Uh, and then the next two after that will be in summer. They'll be Superior and Starlight. And we're just getting our directors together for them. The screenplay for both of them has been done. And we're just getting our actors together. And uh, we've, we're kind of zeroed in on one director in particular. And the other one we're hopefully getting soon. And then towards the end of the year, uh, all going well, we'll get um, Chrononauts and Huck going then as well. You know, so, um, yeah, there we go. so it's, it's very exciting. You know, it's crazy. Like, um, I mean, I, I, I can't believe my luck with this stuff, you know, but... Hollywood just keeps uh, keeps falling for this. It's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, and I want to build on what you just said, Mark. You know, the comic itself, Hawk, doesn't hit local and digital shelves until November 18th. Also, we haven't even, really, we haven't even reached the October 26th cutoff for pre-orders in the comics. Film rights have already been picked up, as you just mentioned. And they've, you know, Studio 8 picked them up. So what was that moment like for the both of you when you found out a studio was already interested in adapting Huck for screen, especially this early in the game when we haven't even finished the pre-order the pre deadline? <laughs> well, I, I wrote the book like almost a year ago now. You know, I wrote it a, a while back. I, I like to stay well ahead. And Rafa started drawing months ago as well, you know. So, I mean, I don't know, Rafa, were you excited whenever that was all happening? You know, it's just very new for me, this all Hollywood thing. We, you know, Mark knows. We talk about that every time and I'm, you know, just trying to keep myself, you know, skeptical in a way. <laughs> I don't, don't want to, you know, get too excited about it or I cannot, you know, concentrate in, in the book itself. <laughs> it's funny, Johnny Romita was the very same on Kick-Ass and I remember saying to him, 
hey, we've sold the movie, it's great, Matthew Vaughn's going to direct it and everything. And Johnny was like, ah, these things never work out. And, and I remember on the set of the movie saying to Johnny, isn't this great? You know, here's the set of our, of our thing and here's a guy dressed you know, like Big Daddy, Nicholas Cage is here dressed like Big Daddy, and he was like, ah, you know, it, it could go wrong, you know, they might stop up. <laughs> and it's, it's that's the way I try to, to think. That's that's what, how I'm trying, you know, until I see the movie done, I'll just try to, you know, keep quiet. And <laughs> <laughs> Johnny was like this all the way, and I remember at the premiere, we were in Texas at the premiere in, in 2010, and they were showing the movie, and Johnny was like, yeah, I know the movie's good, but you know, it might not do well. It might not get a theatrical release. <laughs> <laughs> I think the artist is always so enthusiastic that I think the two of us together probably makes a sensible person. You know, I think uh, maybe one needs the other, you know? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, I don't think you have to worry about that because I think Huck is going to be a huge success. But I have to ask, we know from the Image website, it says that Huck has, and I'm putting this in quotes now, special gifts because that's the way they have it on the website. So kind of looking forward into the series because I know you guys are way farther into it than we are after having just read the first issue. Are we going to find out more about those gifts and how we actually got them? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's what the the series is really about. You know, we start off with this very interesting character. He's just an unusual guy who lives in a small town where everybody loves him and he loves them. And he looks after them and they look after him. And he will just help people out every day. But then as the story unfolds after issue one, we find out who his family really are and, you know, what, what the big secret is, you know, because it's alluded to in the first issue, like where he comes from and what he really is. Uh, and it's, it's interesting. It's, I'm really pleased with how it's come together. It's, I find if I write something quite quickly, it's a good sign. And, and this just, I couldn't wait every morning to come down and switch on my computer and get going on this one. I, I really, I love doing it. You know? Hopefully, hopefully that's infectious and people will enjoy reading it too. Raph, one of the many things I like about, and I love actually about your art in this issue is your use of light to enhance and even set the tone for what Huck and even other characters are feeling or, or saying. What are some other ways you like to set a certain mood or tone with your art? Yeah, that's that's something uh, Mark and I discussed a lot before starting. We want something very that, in a way, that was very Americana, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. that brings that you know very heartwarming feel. So Norman Rockwell actually is a huge influence on art. Uh, we I always he's my favorite painter, uh, hands down. And when when he said that he wanted something that really had that feel, I felt at home doing that. I felt very comfortable because I always wanted to do something like that. And actually, uh, even in, in other stuff, I tried to, I, I did uh, a while ago, uh, uh, an arc of covers for American Vampire that was like all, you know, kind of creepy advertisings. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I was really uh, trying to mimic, in a way, um, uh, Norman Rockwell and Jill Evergreen style and you know approach and when mark you know suggested something that could remind rockwell you know it was just right for me and for him i guess of course hot comes out november 18th however you can still pre-order the book you can pre-order until monday october 26 and before we get you guys out of here one final question where can people find you on social media uh me I, i'm on social media all the time it's like you know when i should be working I'm just, I'm watching Cats on Skateboards, like I said to you guys earlier. <laughs> Can I just say one last thing before I go? Oh, oh definitely. How much does Rafa look like Poe Dameron 
from Star Wars. Oh, yes! Oh, my gosh! <laughs> it's amazing. Rafa, if I were you, I would wear an orange X-Wing pilot uniform all the time. I'd just hang around with that. <laughs> when we do our first signing, I'll, I'll dress like that. Yes! yes! There we go! It's happening! Awesome! I look like Michael Flatley and he looks like Poe Dameron. Not <laughs> he probably looks, look, looks a, bit, a bit better than me, but, you know, I'll, I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> more of the X-Wing. So, Rafa, where can people find you on social media or find out more about your work outside of Huck? Twitter, for sure, and Rafa Albuquerque. Facebook, you can just find my, my page over there. Yeah, that's it, I guess. You know, Instagram, I'm Rafael Albuquerque 821 That's it. Well, we're so excited for people to start reading. Hawk comes out in your local comic shops and available digitally on November the 18th. Actually, final pre-order cutoff date is Monday, October the 26th. Make sure you get to your local shops and do that. And seriously, guys, I know that we've recommended books in the past. This is one you have to have. You have to read this book. And thank you so much, Mark Miller and Raphael Albuquerque of Hawk. Thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Thank you, Thank guys. you, guys. That's great. Well, James, we have two accents like those on a interview it made me think of something this is the third straight week we've we've had guests on you know or at least within the past three episodes we've had guests on that have an awesome accent <laughs> that's true i didn't even think about that i don't think we've had a single accent this entire time we've been doing this show but for the last couple of guests it's yeah. accent-filled. I love that. That's hilarious. Well, because we're all about diversity here and bringing together cultures and, and people with different you know, sounds. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, but no, I mean, you have to go pick up Hawk People. You really, it comes out November 18th. Also, I mean, you know what? Pre-order. Yes. It's that amazing. You know, it's it's a story that will you literally tell your kids when you have kids and I have, you know, whatever. You know, if you're a, a single 35-year-old man living in his mom's basement, and you say, you know, maybe one day I'll have kids. This is the book you get for that day. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's just, it's so, I can't stress this enough, okay? Yeah. We say a lot, you know, we have ratings where it's like, oh, it's a pull for us. Get this book or it's a pickup. Oh, it's a drop. Don't read it. This is the one. If there was ever to be a pull, oh yeah, this is it. This is the pull of pulls, sir. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know. And and by the way, I am not the thirty-five year old man living in my mom's basement. I am gladly twenty-seven years old and yes, I live on my own. That is true. You are not that. <laughs> I am not, not that person. But no, I mean, no. It's it, uh, um, no. The, honestly, the art is just by Rafa is amazing. Mark's writing is just fantastic. So again, thanks them for coming on. And again, Huck comes out. From Image, November 18th, it comes out for sale, but you can pre-order it. You have until October 26th. Hey, that's actually the same exact day as the Supergirl trailers, or Supergirl premiere, I should say. So, hey, two things in one, two big reminders, and two things you got to do on October 26th. You have to pre-order Hawk for yourself, because, again, it's, it's one of those great books. It's going to be one of those things that stands the test of time, and you have to watch Supergirl when it premieres at 8.30. But that's going to do it for this week's show. Again, thanks to Mark Millar. Thanks to Rafa Albuquerque for coming on this week. Again, you can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash downnerdy. Also, downnerdypodcast.com. We have two reviews there on the website we write. They're different from the Back to the Future reviews we did today. Two different comics. So, all in all, we do mostly three to four different comic reviews a week. And, again, we're on Twitter at DownNerdy757. Hey, Mark Millar follows us on Twitter. So, Yay! why should you? 
Uh, you know, he follows us on Twitter as well. So again, downary seven five seven on Twitter. I'm at Merkel One Arm James. I'm at James Ace with them. Don't forget to find us on Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash down and nerdy. And hey, there's a this week section on our website, down and nerdypodcast.com. You can find out what we're talking about for nerd news. This week in Geek Tam, but the trailers are up there that we review. So you hear our review, you go watch the trailer and go, huh, they're right. Or huh, those guys are morons. And there's all kinds of ways to buy the stuff that we talk about on the show as well. We talk about a comic. We'll have the link there for you for our Amazon store. You can actually buy it straight from the show and help support the show too. Also, we have some uh, pretty cool guests that we're trying to get that we have planned for Halloween coming up. But also, we do have a number you can call if you want to be on a podcast. And a lot of people kind of, you know, we're a big hit at the cons because people want to be on our podcast or so, you know, we're like that. We're like that type of podcast. But if you want to be on a podcast with a question, call 757-512-8229, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Call that number, of course, when we're, except when we're recording. But Yeah, don't do it then. <laughs> yeah, don't do it then. But call us, leave a voicemail with a question or a comment, and hey, we'll air it on the show. That's so right. That way, so that way you'll be a part of the show. That way you can, hey, you can sit around with friends on a Friday night saying, hey, I was on this podcast. Technically, you are so because you asked a, sh- a question That's and right. your question got answered. And, you know, so again, thanks to everybody for listening every week. Thanks to Bob. Thanks to Mark Millar. Thanks to Rafa Albuquerque. Thanks to you, James. And, of course, again, thanks to you, the listeners who tune in every week. And with that, I leave you with this. As I do every week, practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics. And also, do good deeds for one another.